We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, GMAC, Andrew Claudio here for another edition of the Knicks Film School podcast. Coming at you on a Wednesday morning, which is whatever you want to call it today, whether it's uh, Elimination Day, whether it's the beginning of the Knicks making history, whatever your confidence levels are in their 3-1 deficit against the Miami Heat, that day is today. And I salute you and however you feel about this 3-1 deficit. Uh, John is taking a much-needed, much-deserved night off on Tuesday to be with the fam. And so, your boy... Is going to fill in and talk to someone that has been doing the Lord's work down in South Beach. So Taylor Vipolis, who is our guest today, uh, is one of the new producers of the Dan LeBatard Show with Stu Gotch, which is based in Miami. And he's like the only Knicks fan, or the real Knicks fan down there. Shout out to Stu Gotch and David Sampson, who do their best imitation of an old Knicks fan. But Taylor's been breaking down the Knicks with this this uh, Twitter thing he's been doing, these Twitter uh, segments he's been doing called Knicks Tape Talk, where he uses uh, one Tim, uh, Tim, I, I say Tim's because I don't know what the singular of Tim's is, one boot, and he uses that as a microphone, <laughs> and he talks about the Knicks and breaks it down, and he was in the arena for game three and four, and I wish the Knicks did a better job of representing Taylor while he was doing this, and he's been getting a ton of shit from the guys over at the Levitard show, so I decided, because we reconnect, well, reconnected, we connected on Twitter and found out that he's a fan of ours, and I've obviously become a fan of his. And so we decided to bring him on the show to actually be given the space and the platform to talk about the Knicks. So here is my conversation with Taylor Vipolis of the Dan Lebetard Show with Stu Gatz. Enjoy. Joining me now here on the Knicks Film School podcast, you may have seen him over the weekend representing with his talents down in South Beach at whatever they call MSG South now, uh, when the Knicks were taking on the Miami Heat in games three and four, um, because he was in enemy territory um, doing content. I, for what we all found is very good content for the Dan Lebetard show with or without Stugatz. Um, and while the Knicks couldn't back him up with some victories and then some validation for entering into enemy territory, we appreciate him so much that we had to have him on our show 
to fully show that appreciation and talk about this basketball team. He is one of the members of the, as they still call it the shipping container, but he is one of the members of the production crew over at the Dan Levitard show at Metal Arc Media. And he is Taylor Vipolis. Taylor, welcome to the Knicks Film School podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. We were talking before about how we're doing. We both said we're doing good, but then we realized very quickly, no, we, we could be doing a lot better. The vibes, as Jalen Brunson put it, um, not immaculate, no, no longer immaculate. They're the they're immaculate at the moment. They're the opposite of immaculate. Um, so I wanted to get a little backstory on you because uh, you're new to our show, and so our audience might not have a familiarity to to your backstory. And so obviously you're a Knicks fan. Um, what's your first Knicks memory? If we could just go back to that very specific point, like. It, the more context I want to provide is like, is this your first or is the mellow years your first real taste of playoff success? How far back do you go with the Knicks? Yeah, I was born in 1994. I went to Carolina and I actually told Hubert Davis this story that the day I was born, the team was on like a, a cross country trip back that kind of got um, altered. And it was like a, a big team bonding moment that day. And then they did not lose. I was born March 1st. They did not lose the entire month of March 1994. They go on to the finals that year. But my Knicks memories. So my dad was born in Italy and my mom is just not a big sports fan. And neither were her parents. So I didn't have anybody who was pushing me to be a Knicks fan. Um, but I grew up right outside the city in Rockland County. Ah, and okay. I just immediately kind of fell in love with the Knicks from a pretty young age. I I don't really have too many memories of like I have zero recollection of the Patrick Ewing, John Stark, even even really Alan Houston. I don't really remember those days. Uh, the first Knicks team that I can kind of remember are like the the Stefan Marbury, um, Eddie Curry years, uh, Jamal Crawford. The first Nick that I remember truly falling in love with and, and identifying with was David Lee and mm. that David Lee, uh, Wilson Chandler, uh, Danilo Gallinari, that team was, was my kind of introduction into Nick fandom. And it feels like I, I haven't missed too many games since. So molded in the darkness, as yes. we call it, those that became Knicks fans in the mid 2000s. And like, I'm lucky enough that I jumped on around 97, 98, a little older than you. So I have the faintest of memories of those late 90s teams. Um, and then, you know, the lean years of the 2000s, the what I consider significant that mellow season in in 2013. But then you get to 2010s and this season that we've had. It's it's a two out of three year run, but really this year felt the most sustainable. You can call whatever you want the week year season, but I think we all took a step back from that, especially the way they lost to Atlanta, thinking that was a house of cards that was built to fall and it fell at the hands of Trey Young. And this year, getting to experience a player like Brunson, a regular season player like Randall, and what this this what this team became. To see where we are now is is deflating and it's disappointing. And it's why I think Knicks fans are are trying to rectify today their feelings and how how to fully talk about what this season's been, especially if it's gonna go out this way. Have you gotten there at all yet with with processing what this Knicks season has been and 
you know, the step forward is it is while realizing that it's also going to end up being not like knocking on wood that it's not over yet, technically. But if they are to lose to the heat, that ends up just being like another chapter in the Knicks heat rivalry. Yeah, if there if there's a God, if you believe in a higher power, the Knicks will win the next three mm. games. I Amen. cannot stand being around some of the Miami fans and their delusion and just a general feeling of entitledness. The the two takes that have kind of stuck with me being around Miami fans and being on the Dan Lebitard show is one one person wanted to lose the playing game against the Bulls because they wanted a, a better pick at a better chance of picking Victor Wembanyama, even mm-hmm. though it was still like under two percent. And then the other take is them wondering how many more championships they would have won during the the Big Three era if instead of LeBron you put Jimmy Butler on the team. <laughs> so there's there's a complete like uh-huh. lack of self awareness to realize like. Knicks fans, we're, we're just enjoying this moment, and it, that's it's a lot for people to stomach at times. If you're not from New York and you don't understand what it's like being a New York fan, like I have zero recollection of Charles Oakley playing in the Garden. My only memory of Charles Oakley is James Dolan kicking him out and kind of making the the fan base um, just not embarrassed to be a Knicks fan, but it for. The entire time I've I've been growing up, like the Knicks were the punchline for for everybody's joke and such an easy target for everybody. This year, above all else, felt like a, a stepping stone where the Knicks aren't the Knicks don't have to be the joke franchise. Jalen Brunson comes in and he kind of puts some credibility to the way that this Knicks team wants to play. It's guys like Josh Hart and Jalen Brunson and Isaiah Hartenstein, where it's like these guys just embody what it means to be a New Yorker and and fight with toughness and grit. But it, it is it has been disappointing to go down three one to Miami because they they beat the Bucks and the one seed gets taken out and all of a sudden you're thinking Oh my God! Are are we going to the Eastern Conference Finals for the first time since 1999? Um, and well, 2000, I, I th- 2000, they got 2000. there. They, they actually beat the Heat to get to the, yeah. the conference finals. Down Houston, yeah. Game seven, yeah. Um, and I I think the the most disheartening thing about this particular series against the Heat is just that. For 16 quarters, the majority of them, the Heat have just looked like the significantly better team. And they're doing it in a lot of ways that this Knicks team did it during the regular season. And and in that first round series against Cleveland with offensive rebounds and and stealing extra possessions and and just out hustling you. And I was at I've actually I've been to four games so far. this are I've been to three games this series out of the four. Okay. And I only missed game two. So I haven't seen a win yet. <laughs> and for anybody yeah. who gotta anybody, get you to stop going to games, my man. <laughs> yeah. I somebody said that. I was like, I think you're the jinx. And I'm like, I'm not the one who's who's not hustling back on defense. Mm-hmm. That that's Julius Randall. Right. Me being in the building has nothing to do with Julius Randall hustling uh up and down the court. But from the game three and game four in Miami in particular, like those games just never felt close. Like they might've got it to five at some point in, in the second half um, 
in game four, or maybe even they got it to three, but it just never felt sustainable and it never felt like they were, they were really in it. Or it felt like even if they did get a lead that Miami was just going to find a way to win. Yeah. Um, so a couple things from what you just said, first of all, as someone who gets the show, um, I, I has because Jeremy Tache is a friend, so I I respect his analysis a lot. He's like behind the scenes, and like I'm sure you're close with Jeremy too. Uh, and Jeremy, like we will eventually recon- reconvene and do a podcast together whenever your schedule allows it. Uh, so I I got no smoke for Jeremy. I just if you don't know who Dejounte Murray is, I just don't know how much of your basketball opinion is uh, that I respect. So that's just like my two cents on that. Shout out 10 day, Tony and the goat, Mike Ryan. Uh, But having said that to being around the Miami heat atmosphere and like, you're there, we as Knicks fans, like we're there for tip off. Like the most important thing today is the game. And then the late arriving crowd down in Miami is like, Oh, we know the, the heat it's embarrassing. Like it's it's embarrassing the the opening tip off crowd. However, as a franchise, though, um, this series has just continued to remind me how much institutional stability matters. And while the Knicks have started to build that this year, and you know the Cavs series just cannot be forgotten in the context of this series. Like that was a team that was top 10 in net rating, top 10 in offense, top 10 in defense. And the Knicks wiped the floor with them. They made the all-in move that the Knicks didn't make. And so the Knicks are able to look back on this season and say they took care of that team. And the team there, it looks like they're going to be eliminated by, again, still three games left to play, or potentially three games left to play, um, has the stability and the the playoff experience. They have the coach. They have the the number one guy. That we don't have yet, you know, we're, and look, I'm not even like the biggest Tibbs doubter. And I like I'm a big fan of Jalen Brunson, their coach and their best player are better. And it's a reality that we all just kind of have to face. And it's probably worth what I'm wrestling with today. However, there is another gigantic element to this that I, I think is the going to be the talking point, like as much as Tibbs is going to get some smoke for how the starting lineup change affected the rest of the team and how like he, he defended Jimmy Butler throughout the series. Like that's going to get some focus, but Julius Randle, the last two games, uh, just any goodwill that he built up throughout this season, even like through game two, uh, it almost feels like it's been, been washed away. And it's funny. He had 20 points on 13 shots. Like he, he was trying to get to make good passes at times. And yet the, first quarter effort that we saw the there's a thread going around of his uh lack of closing out on defense on jump shots on on Kevin Love on Max Struess he'll has a turnover and then has, doesn't even bother getting back in the play the 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 pick six that he threw to where Jalen Brunson is hustling back for a 3 on 1 and then Brunson actually gets a stop and then Jalen and Julius Randle kind of slowly ends up into the picture at the very end. I just, the effort just not being there to then follow it up with his post game quote, whether he didn't mean it that way or not, you just cannot say maybe they wanted it more and that maybe some, some we have to, you know, figure out if we want to keep this season going. The, the lack of self-awareness there is frustrating. And now it's suddenly become exactly where we were at the end of last season. Like, what do you do with Julius Randle? Can you keep him as 
one of your core pieces if you're trying to go past the second round of the playoffs. Where are you on Julius Randle? Where are you when it comes to him long term and just like your emotions? Like, were you ever on the Julius Randle bandwagon? I would say the Julius Randle experience has kind of been like a roller coaster. He starts off, um, you're kind of unsure of his potential. Then he has the the All NBA type season in twenty twenty one or the All Star season in twenty one. Yeah. You're riding that high. Twenty two happens and he kind of crashes down, and you're left wondering like wh- what the heck is going on. They bring in Brunson and they both look like All Stars. I think Brunson is is I think Brunson is the better team, the better player, the better teammate. Uh, the bigger impact on this team. Like if I had an all NBA vote, I would have a hard time leaving Jalen Brunson off. I would have a hard time leaving him off an all-star ballot, but I understand why Julius Randall still made the all-star. He, he put up great regular season numbers. And I think you said it best where he built up, he built the, that trust with the fan base and um, the excitement with the fan base that, Maybe they did have a, a cornerstone guy. He, he's probably never going to be a one. Well, he's never going to be a one on a, a championship contending team, but he could be a two, three, whether you look at Brunson as a two or Randall as a two. Um, I think those are those are pretty interchangeable, but I think there's more consensus that you can win with Brunson as your two compared to Randall. Uh, but yeah, just just being in the Kasai Center, Miami Dade Arena, whatever they call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the one play that really stuck out to me was the one you mentioned, the three-on-one. Brunson hustles back, stops Gabe Vincent going up for a layup, and you could just see Julius Randle just walking up the court. And you can't be the guy who walks up the court and then in the postgame say, they might have just wanted it more than us. Like if it was somebody like RJ Barrett, who I think I don't think anybody ever questions RJ Barrett's toughness and um, his fight. But when when you keep when Randall's fight and intensity and attention to detail always comes into question, that's the part that I have a hard time stomaching. Can this guy be a franchise player? So. Uh, if push came to shove, I would say I'm out on Julius Randle. Mm. Um, just because, just because of that, I, I question, you know, how much he he loves the game of basketball from the standpoint of things like that happening in, in Game Four. Like maybe he's not healthy. If he, if he's not healthy, then I think he he shouldn't be playing. But he looks good on the offensive end. That's the thing. Like it, it's tough for me to go to the injury excuse when, like you said, he like he made tough shots last night. He was the exact version of the regular season Julius that we've seen all year. I thought the, the Heat have a really good game plan with him, forced him to take some tough shots. I liked that there was more spacing for him to get to the rim a little bit more last night, but it didn't change the fact that there was one end of the floor that I just... Like, I, I it's weird. I, I think he was about as impactful as Brunson last night, but with Brunson... Like you don't give him a pass, but he's limited being a six foot guard that isn't all that quick, you know, but with Julius, like 
I don't see the effort. I see Jalen Brunson trying and it's an inability that is lacking there with Julius. I I've seen you defend before. I've seen you play really good defense when you want to. And this just wasn't that in the biggest game of the season for the Knicks. So yeah, he, he's making, uh, yeah. he's making Max Struess and, and Kevin Love's first step. Oh my look gosh. Like that Kevin first... Love blow by man. That was the moment I was like, Oh, this is, this We're is in bad. trouble. This yeah. is very bad. Yes. Yeah. And that was, uh, it, it wasn't even like an isolated, like walk back instance. Like I lost count at how many times he was walking back or he was the last guy or he was doing the, the, the pouting, the, the person that put that threat together. Uh, mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure Zach Bladder, yeah, Zach Bladder yeah. from, uh, the Strickland. I mean, he gave that guy a ton of content to use because of how many times Randall was one of the last people coming into the frame. So, uh, yeah, I think I think that was the most disheartening thing that I think North, uh, I think New York has the the talent and it has the guys to contend with a team like Miami. They don't they don't have Spo, who is probably the best coach in the NBA, and they don't have the best player in the series, Jimmy Butler. Um, but to for all the talk about the Heat culture, that was the part that was the most upsetting to me. Just seeing somebody like Julius Randall kind of just get. Um, just looked like he didn't want to be there. And there was a ton of Knicks fans there. And for the two games in Miami, they didn't really give a lot to cheer about for, for how many Knicks fans were there. For over 30 years, the law offices of Weiss and Rosenblum in New York City has been home to a team of award-winning, hard-hitting injury attorneys who have a long track record of seven-figure results. Whether you've been injured in a car accident, fall, construction accident, or other traumatic event, Weiss and Rosenblum will work tirelessly to maximize the award, regardless of the severity of your injury, and get you and your family the fair and just compensation you deserve. Call Weiss and Rosenblum today at 212-366-6100. Again, that's 212-366-6100 or visit weissandrosenbloom.com for more information. No case is too big or too small. Personal attention to your matter is a priority. Once more, call 212-366-6100. Previous results do not guarantee future outcomes. If you think you might have a case, speak with a veteran attorney, not a rookie. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So you mentioned R.J. Barrett, and I don't know where you were coming into the postseason, but 
I was wondering if we were about to watch RJ Barrett get benched uh, early in the postseason because of how he was during the regular season. And like, shout out to uh, our KFS pod uh, co-host, Jeremy Cohen, who has put it perfectly like they got to the five seed largely in spite of RJ Barrett. And come postseason, when you kind of have to throw the regular season sample out, maybe he was headed for a couple of DNPs. And by game three of the playoffs, it actually turned out he was going to be one of their better players. They don't beat the Cavs without him. And I got to be honest, through four games, like a rough shooting game in game three, but who had a good shooting game in game three? I actually thought his process was kind of fine. And then these other games, he's been their second best player in in all of these games. So it's the, the context of RJ Barry, like John said it last night on the post game, I think... I think the Knicks have found something in this guy. Now, I have no idea how the front office thinks and the CAA influence is real. But as far as you're concerned, like, is that at least a silver lining you could take away with RJ? And I guess I even we're kind of burying the lead here. Where were you on RJ Barrett coming into this postseason? Yeah, RJ's tough because it feels like you know what a player is or, or should be after four full regular seasons. Um, but then you can throw his age into consideration and he's still 22 turning 23 mm-hmm. uh, this June. So it's like, and then he shows, he shows the flashes in the Cleveland series where the, the biggest knock on him is just, he's just an inefficient player. Um, but then in the Cleveland series, he shoots over 50% from the field. He, he looks like he's starting to develop a, a three-point shot. He's scoring you know, over 20 points per game at, at that level of efficiency. And it does feel like you do have something. Where I think the, the disconnect might be is what that something is. I don't think that something is ever going to blossom into the best player on a championship contending team. But... Not everybody could be the best player on a championship contending team. You do need to fill out the roster still. And I think I've seen enough from RJ Barrett to to feel a certain level of optimism. And I also think he has that the the intangibles you look for in a basketball player where it's like, I know he is gonna work extremely hard in the offseason. I know he kind of has that. To a lesser extent, Jimmy But why I love Jimmy Butler is because he has that like dog mentality where it's probably the closest thing we've seen to somebody like the the Kobe Bryants and the Michael Jordans. And I think to a lesser extent, RJ does have that similar killer instinct where he wants the ball, he wants it in his hands, he wants to be the guy on the biggest stage. Like I, I always think back to the draft night where you could see his appreciation of what it meant to him to, to be a New York Nick. Um, so that's why I, I'm not, he's 23 years old. Uh, I'm not ready to give up on, on RJ Barrett. And I think he could be a really solid piece on a, on a championship contending team. It just, is there a, a number one out there that you could realistically get? And that has always been the defensive RJ that I've heard out. You know, like I, if the Knicks were looking elsewhere this offseason before, like then this is like my thought, honestly, nine games ago, that if they look elsewhere and RJ's the centerpiece of like an OG and an OB trade or a, 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 a tertiary piece like that, where you put someone that's a, a better defender and better shooter around RJ, then I'd understand it. But I'd have the caveat that like he's still only 22. 
like who knows what happens when he gets later on into his career. That's the defense I've always when people have defended him, that I've heard out. Now I'm at the point where I'd like to be the team that finds out what RJ is if yeah. he's still here. You know, like and and that's where man, I'm really hoping that that the majority of Knicks fans are able to take a step back and find the positives. I know it's disappointing today. I know what the last really the last like week has been is just agita and agony over the fact that a team you are allegedly better than uh, is up three one against you. But like the 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 getting this version of RJ and seeing what it's like when the games matter the most, when he's going through his rough shooting slumps next season, because they're going to happen when he's having like those two for 12, the, the, the casual crew calls them tour dates during the season. Um, we can look back and be like, well, like we have playoff. We have playoff Julius. We have playoff RJ to look, to look at and say that he could be that player. And you know, that's, I don't say it's given him a pass for any slumps he has in the future, but it's given us something to hold on to that that's in there and we're willing to be more patient. And ironically, it's gone the exact opposite now with Julius. If he has another all NBA season for the Knicks next year, I, I, I think I know this fan base enough to be like, yeah, they're all going to say, oh, well, like, who cares? This is empty regular season stats. What'd you do in the postseason? And, you know, here we are. Yeah, my bigger question is, uh, yeah. do, do you think RJ and Julius, the way they kind of play, can coexist? Uh, that's been the number On one question. Yeah. It's been the number one question for the last couple of years. I think they need more shooting. Whether you use Julius to get it, whether you use RJ to get it, and I, I can't believe we're saying this after how the Cavs went, Cavs series went. If you use the Mitch position where you need someone that is a shooter at, at at the center position. I don't know where you are able to find that. There's this pipe dream of a Porzingis reunion that I'm just not ready to entertain just yet. But you need to have you need to have more shooting on the floor because I don't think I know Julius tried to fill that gap this year, not necessarily with efficiency, but with volume. So like him taking as many threes was like part of the plan. But um yeah, I've always been hesitant about the RJ Julius pairing. Um, I, having said all of this, like, I got to think as much as it doesn't feel like the regular season matters now, that the front office is thinking about what this team was from December 4th on, and especially from the Josh Hart trade on. And they're wondering if the significant, like, franchise altering upgrade isn't there. Maybe we just run it back. I don't know. What would. Not to, I hesitate to talk about the offseason because the series is not over. But in your mind, if you had the choice of like Zach Levine is the trade that to go get, or like Carl Anthony Towns is the trade. I see you're already shaking your head. No, like you just run it back, is my yeah. thought. Do you can you uh, just run it back and be okay? I would rather run it back than, than go out and get a, a Zach Levine or a Carl Anthony Towns. Carl Anthony Towns is just like, it just does not move the needle in the slightest. I think there's maturity questions about him. He was kind of at the forefront of the, the Jimmy Butler problems in Minnesota. Um, 
similar to Ben Simmons being the problem with Jimmy Butler in Philadelphia. And then all of a sudden it turns out, hey, maybe Jimmy is just a, a really great competitor. And those guys were the, uh, the problem. And then Levine with his knee issues and just uh, his age, it, it just really doesn't. It, it, I don't think it should really excite Nick fans. And then I think it kind of turns to like, where else do you look like is a Bradley Beal an option? I don't think Bradley Beal would be that big of a, a needle mover. Um, and then it kind of turns to like the pipe dreams. Does, uh, does Giannis force his way out, which I don't really see happening, but if, if Drew retires at the end of his contract and, and Middleton gets up there or my, my ideal pipe dream would be Philly, crashes out to Boston in their series where we've James, all been for a couple of weeks, man. I hear where you're going with this. <laughs> James Harden <laughs> goes to Houston, does whatever. And Embiid's looking around like, Hey, I, I kind of want out Joel yeah. Embiid at the five, I think would be my ideal. Cause if you look at, if you look at like the goal should be championships. I know the Knicks haven't got to the Eastern conference finals in a while, but to be a championship contending team, Outside of the Pistons, probably you have a, a top ten player, and you have to look at who, what top ten players would be the most likely to become available. And Luca, kind of, I Luca would be kind of awesome, but you kind of already saw the the Luca and Jalen pairing in Dallas. Uh, but Embiid for me would be the uh, the pipe dream. So two things on that. First of all, the Embiid pipe dream has been our pipe dream as well at Nick's Film School for months. That's the moment that Christmas Day when it was rumored that uh, Harden might go back to Houston. It was like, huh. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll play out the rest of that <laughs> scenario and what might happen. <laughs> and I had uh, I had one of the guys from the right Ricky Sanchez pod on the pregame pod uh, when the Knicks played the Sixers earlier this year. And I just, I mentioned, like, this is our pipe dream. I recognize it's a pipe dream, but, like, I say that, what do you think? And he said, like, I if, he, if James were to leave and... Joel were to one out. I can't blame him. Like we, we did every, every version of this team that we could, whether it was with Ben Simmons, whether it was with Jimmy Butler, whether it was with James Harding, like at a certain point you have to accept that it maybe isn't going to happen here. Work. I mean, if you want to go that far, you can, I, I doubt the rights to Ricky Sanchez guys would say that, but I, I mean, I wouldn't push back on that, that uh, conclusion. Uh, point being um, that I think is the only scenario Get, I'm not. I'm not entertaining a Giannis situation. I'm just shout out Brian Windhorst. I don't think he said that unintentionally. I'm just. I'm not even having the con the Giannis conversation. The Embiid thing, I think, could actually be more realistic. Especially, it's going to become my my emphasis when it comes to talking about this. I, it's been um, Jeremy's or Jeremy Cohen who kind of plans out the offseason content for us. Um, he he looks to the CAA connections and Leon Rose's former client is Joe, Joel Embiid. So that, that has to matter in this situation. Um, so we've been doing this thing called the blame pie where uh, you, it's a pie chart and you chart out how much blame you're giving to each spot. And before I let you get out of here, and I have just a couple questions after the, we'll do the blame pie. And then one other thing before I let you go, um, how would you chart out, the blame for being down three one. And I'm, I'm not saying for the Knicks series loss. Cause again, 
It's not over. They could win tonight. And then we're back on the irrational bandwagon for Friday. But for the blame pie is concerned, where would you, how would you uh, separate or divide up the slices of this? Okay. Uh, I would go, I'm going a majority to Tibbs. Okay. Like I'm going 60%. 60%. Wow. Yeah. Why? It just feels like, again, I think I, I truly believe Spo is, is one of the best coaches in the NBA and especially best in-game adjusters where Tibbs, it feels like the adjustments come game to game. Yeah. And the problem with that is like once a, once a game kind of gets out of, out of reach, it feels like Spo just keeps pulling away and the Knicks just don't have, um, a response to, to what they're doing. And it's like, Hey, let's just pack it in and try again next week when we, when we can figure out some more um, adjustments. And then you've had like the, the starting lineup that got them there of Grimes and Brunson, Barrett, Randall Robinson played. That was the, the lineup that started the most games. And up until game four, those five had played zero minutes together, which seems almost impossible to fathom. And Grimes comes in and you, you see the impact he has when uh, the Heat have to respect his shooting and he comes out. I think he started probably like three or four from three. Um, questions on the defensive end and, and the rebounding, but what this team needs right now is is shooting to open up the floor for guys like Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle. Um, so I would go Tibbs sixty. Mm. I would go. I would go lack of shooting. Thirty. Okay. Because, because I ninety percent now. Okay. Yeah, I think there is. Um, I think there is a ton of space I don't I don't think there's a ton of space for Jalen Brunson to operate and Julius Randle to operate and you you see these clips when they're coming out after like Jimmy Butler is just you know he's just freelancing in the middle of the paint two feet in the paint looking to help off RJ Barrett or looking to help off Josh Hart and there's just no respect for those guys and, and their ability to stretch the floor and then I think the other I'll go 10% to the front court. I think Randall has had his ups and downs. Mitch Mitchell Robinson, who dominated the Cleveland front court of Evan Mobley and, and Jared Allen. And it was like, oh my God, like Mitchell Robinson, this Mitchell Robinson completely changes the Knicks trajectory and, and their potential for how far they could go in a playoff run. And he he's kind of regressed back to not what he was in the in the Cleveland series and, and being able to carry them. And then I I wanna when I say the, the front court, I wanna exclude Hartenstein because he is he is out there battling and hustling and uh just showing a ton of heart out there. Uh but like Obi Toppin, he comes in and it feels like he doesn't understand why why he's so open and why the Heat are just not guarding him, and he comes in and he's shooting at a ton. I, I think game one he was like four of eleven, which is four of eleven, yeah. yeah, which isn't a bad shooting game for Obi. But the Heat want him to take eleven threes a game, 
And it it just doesn't feel like they're playing like the Knicks have like a game plan around him and his development seems to have gotten kind of kind of stagnant and, and there isn't a ton of improvement to say, you know, when, when an extension does when extension talks do come on the table, like what are they going to do? It, it feels like at this point, just let him go his separate way and uh, the Knicks go their way. So and that kind of plays into why 60 percent is is on Tibbs because it doesn't feel like this team really has an offensive identity in this Miami series and especially on, on the defensive end I lost count at how many times they've they've lost where where Struce is or or Vincent or Duncan Robinson and the actions that Miami is running Miami is getting any look that they want and the Knicks it's like it's like pulling teeth watching their offense at times and Another reason why it's probably sixty percent Tibbs. It, it feels like the the doubles that they're sending at Jimmy Butler are so not effective, and he's just he's cooking them on these doubles yeah. throughout this entire series. I think yeah. I saw a stat where like fifty two points from Game Four came off of uh, Butler attempted doubles, where it's like. They double, he finds one person, that person swings it to Max Struess and, and it's a three. Uh, and then the Knicks come down and it's like a Randall step back with 18 seconds on the shot clock. And that's kind of been what this series has been through four games. So I'm going to take your pie real quick and I'm going to push back a little bit, but I'm, I, I want to add two more slices to it because I've got smoke for Tibbs. Um, I also wasn't a fan of the starting lineup change. I will say, just going by some lineup data, that starting five has a offensive rating of 120.6. The offense hasn't necessarily been the problem. I think the beginning of game three is really what we're all pointing to as like, holy crap, that didn't work. Uh, the defense, ironically, has been the thing that's been the most awful part. It's a 129.5 defensive rating, that starting five, which... Like that's a negative 8.8 net rating for that starting five. So whether whether we, we all kind of focused on how poor the spacing was and, and that being the issue, ironically, if that lineup was meant to create a, a better defense, it didn't. So I am here for the criticism of the starting lineup change, uh, especially going to last night. Offense was worse. Defense was better, which is the weird part about this series that that starting that lineup of Randall Barrett, Brunson Grimes and uh, and Mitch uh, ends up with a 100 offensive rating and a 96 defensive rating, which would be the best in the sport by far. Um, so I got I got smoke for Tibbs there. The defensive strategy on Jimmy, I Benji's been saying it. Our our exes, our main exes and O's guy, and honestly, both of our exes and O's guys. Um, in fact, I'll just say it. Our entire team has been saying like, make Jimmy Butler be great. You know, like don't let him be spectacular first before you dedicate so much attention. I get it. The you want if you're gonna choose, let Jimmy Butler beat you or Max Struess. Your inclination is like, well, okay, Mac, make Max Struess beat you. Well, guess what? Max Struess is beating you this far into the series. So I've got smoke for him there. I do think he's been outcoached. Um, I do think like a large piece of the pie, like half of Tibbs's pie, like I'll go 30% Tibbs and then 30% Julius Randle. Cause at a certain point I can't put it all on the coach when your all-star all NBA player just hasn't lived up to that type of 
that type of reputation, you know, you need to depend on your stars in a playoff series. And he just, he's been undependable. And that's the the frustrating part. You were able to get away with it against a undisciplined, inexperienced team like the Cavs. But then when you get to a series like the Heat, you, you can't make as many mistakes. You need your guys to show up. And here we are. The Julius Randle, outside of one game, really didn't show up. And I, I believe that's a, 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 a equally as significant piece of the pie to Tibbs. What say you? I, I agree. I agree. Okay. I think I think Randall has shown tendencies outside of the fact that the the looks he does generate are are normally pretty tough looks and, and there's nothing easy about the looks that he gets but I do think he he shows tendencies where you're like this guy cannot be counted on and I think to a lesser extent Bam has kind of shown that for for Miami where it's like some of the numbers at times can feel hollow where you're like, this guy is like a borderline all-star, but needs somebody like Butler to elevate. And I think that Randall can be that, but Randall doesn't have the luxury of having somebody like Jimmy Butler with him. So that's probably why I give a little more of a pass to somebody like Julius Randall. But, but I, I do agree with, with the larger point that, for this Knicks team to to kind of reach their ceiling as a team, that Randall has to be a lot better and take a lot more accountability for this team's success. That game three, like the offensive game plan wasn't working. That's when you needed your all-star, your all-NBA guy to be like, all right, I'm getting 35 this game. And he got 13. So I, I it's it's I guess he got 15, but still like he didn't get enough. He didn't, this is a, a night where we needed his offense and it wasn't there. Again, he may not be playing 100%. Guess who also isn't playing 100%? Jalen Brunson and the guy carried them in the fourth quarter, giving them a pulse down the stretch. Um, the only other thing I'd push back on is there's just like, I'm not sure what my full chart ends up looking like. There's like a 25 to 30% slice that's just admiring what the Miami Heat have done. They've gotten the Knicks to play outside of themselves through four games. They are forcing the Knicks to become a jump shooting team in, in that way that might contribute to shooting, but it also like, I don't think the Knicks had a second gear all season. This is just, this is how they've been all season. The, the team that lacks shooting. I'm not sure more ball movement would even fix that. Now I've, I've heard, I've heard it all season that people doubt the Knicks offense, but the moment that the heat were able to take away the Knicks, uh, winning the battle of the boards, it became, all right, a three-point shooting contest, as as XJ would call it. Um, so I just, I want to give credit to to the Heat in in that sense. So while my, I have more slices there, I think we do have the same people on the blame pie or the credit pie, I guess it would be with the Miami Heat, uh, with the with adding the Heat to the end of it. Um, that's at least where I would go to with this. I, 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 I That's where I would, at the end of it. Yeah, and the Heat, do such a good job of just dragging you out into the, into the deep water and, and forcing you to try to tread water. Mm-hmm. And it's like a, a, like a boxer where it's like, they'll hit you hard with a body shot in the first round and see that that kind of weakens you. And then for the next 11 rounds, the only thing they throw are body shots at that one area the mm-hmm. entire time where it's like, they they know where this Knicks team's weakness is, and they're going to make you play into those and B 
beat you where it's like the Knicks are like, hey, let's try to have Max Struess beat us. But if Max Struess is just shooting uncontested looks off whatever actions they're running, that's a lot better of a game plan than, you know, let's let's try to bait RJ Barrett and um, Obi Toppin and Josh Hart into shooting these contested looks and, and getting the ball out of Jalen Brunson's hand. So I, I do think you you do have to give credit to what Miami has been able to do. And you look at it, Spolstra has had two losing seasons in 15 years and in two championships. It's like, yeah, n- no surprise that they're here with what they have. And look, add Jalen Brunson to that list. Other than game two, where he had six threes, he's two of 19 in the three losses from three point range. Like he's not getting their best of looks either. I don't, I'm not even like criticizing, criticizing JB there. I'm, I'm more giving the heat credit for how they've, force the Knicks to not be able to play their style of basketball this year. Um, so yeah, I think it's just acknowledging that the opponent has has done to us what we did to Cleveland one round previous. Last question, speaking of the Miami Heat, now I know I know that this is much different for you than it is for me because you're in it, you're down there, you're, you're going to have to deal with this if the Knicks lose this series uh, significantly more uh, awfully than I will up here in New York, but uh, going forward, um, I was talking to XJ last night before the post game, and I was saying like, what we kind of need now is the Heat to get to the finals, so that way this validates the Knicks' loss. You can then look at it like, oh, you know what, the Heat found another gear. They they reclaimed the the form of the team that got to the conference finals and was a shot away from the finals last year, like. This is their, you know, this is just their year. And it's a, we're, we're a chapter of a Cinderella story. And he was like, I would hate that. And I remembered he lives in Florida. So I ask you now, is it more beneficial to the Knicks overall narrative if you lose to a Heat team that gets to the finals and like it's clear that they, they're able to beat not just the Bucks, not just the Knicks, but also either the Celtics or the Sixers? Or are you just like, no, I need the the Sixers or Celtics to wipe the floor with them in the next round if they are to get to the next round? Yeah, I need Miami out of the playoffs this year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's per- both personal and professional purposes. <laughs> per- personally, I need Miami out as, as soon as possible. Uh, four games in the next round would be better. Actually, the best case is the Knicks win the next three. I'm not, I'm not giving up hope. There you go. Uh, but I think the... The, I think the narrative from like players around the league is that this Knicks organization was such a mess and such a like a the punchline, the joke, whatever. And Jalen Brunson, I think, has done a a good enough job to kind of stabilize the franchise and show people that like, no, we we can build a winner here. Like it's it's not some impossible task under this management. And I think because of that alone it doesn't matter how far this Miami team goes but selfishly i do want them out as as quickly as possible the quicker the better for your sake and for my sake i also hope they're out as quickly as possible <laughs> which is 3 games from now yes. if i can be completely yes. honest um realistic i have no two idea two in the garden two in the garden i i hear you they they beat miami in miami the julius randall shot i was earlier. there i was there dude that's the most unfortunate part for me. That night was such a like, okay, all is forgiven, Julius. And 
it just it's I feel like it's all gone now. That shot is now a distant memory uh, for all Knicks fans. And yeah, I'm, I'm hanging my hat on on moments like that. Mm-hmm. The the OT win against the Celtics like mm-hmm. this team has a tendency to to prove you wrong when when you're the most down on them. That's why they're, I thought they were winning last night, man. Every time they've needed to win a game this year, they've won it. They're like 22 and 10 or something like that since the Josh Hart trade. Like mm-hmm. this team isn't isn't, you know, some massive underdog and yeah, two games at the Garden. That's 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 what I'm really banking on and and hoping for. Well, uh, trying to on, as I'm saying it, I'm trying to talk myself into it more. Listen, we're all gonna may need to talk me into it more, <laughs> especially with 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 Mitch tweeting and Julius doing press conferences. I'm I'm at the point where I'm yeah we have I'm, to we have to get Mitch off social media just the, forever. The forever. Twitter, put the, the phone away. The yes. Snapchat stories, it's mm-hmm. just no good can come from it. And like, I don't know. Thankfully, you- I'm pretty sure Tibbs doesn't have the internet on his phone so he doesn't see any of this yeah but for the rest of us that have to form content and narratives around this stuff it would be much better much more beneficial if you did not use the internet mitchell robinson uh taylor you've been outstanding thank you so much for joining me for those who do not know where to find you please plug where they can find you and all of your work you can follow me on twitter at tvipless and then you can just follow the the Dan Lebitard show. It's it's going to be a lot of Miami talk, but uh, hopefully, I I just keep kind of finding ways to show people that people on the show know about sports and, <laughs> and that we we can talk more more New York sports because nobody else nobody else will. And if if it doesn't happen there, I'll, I'll just start my own podcast where I can kind of. <laughs> Talk next. I said this to uh, I don't know if it was to Tache or to uh, Giancarlo of the Miami Heat beat, but like the whole you don't get the show sound liner from Poppy. Mine would be like you don't get the Knicks because like the the lack of intelligent Knicks talk is just so prominent, which is why I appreciated Knicks tape talk when it popped up Thank on you. the Levitard show feed. It was like, oh, someone who gets the Knicks. Yeah, I get Dan, it. Like Dan, to the Dan Dan called thing. it awful analysis. I was like, I, of course it is because it's good analysis. <laughs> How dare you do good analysis on their feed? We can't have that, you know. So um, I listen. I, I say this personally. A lot of the tips I take as a executive producer from Mike Ryan, I admire what Dan has done in the community and as a show. I just wish, wish the Knicks talk was a little more intelligent. But that also might not be me getting the show. However, I'll, I'll start asking Metal Arc to give me a Knicks tape talk podcast. Perfect. And you know where one of the first subscribers will be. Yeah. Uh, Taylor, thank you for joining <laughs> me, man. Thank you so much. Love what you guys do. Once again, a big thank you to Taylor for coming on today's show. You can check him out on Twitter at TVipolis. That's V-I-P-P-O-L-I-S. You could check out all of his work, Nick's Tape Talk over at the Dan Lebitard Show. Support him because God knows they are not supporting him at the moment down in Miami. So thank you again to Taylor. Good luck to you, my friend. As far as we're concerned... One game at a time, folks. The season is not over, as I have to keep reminding myself... Doesn't look great, doesn't feel great, but still just need one win. And then you, you're on to game six. Like my, I'll say this. Heat fans have been saying that this is revenge for 99, that they're in eighth seed and they're about to beat the Knicks. I'm looking at it the other way. This is revenge for 97 when the Knicks were up 3-1 and then the Heat came back from 3-1 to win that series. Well, maybe, maybe it's time we return that favor. We're, we're down 3-1 and we come back to win this series. Uh, starts with one and... 
Oh boy, do they need to get it. So um, shout out to all of you who have tuned in throughout this season. Um, and hopefully we got many more games to look forward to. We'll be on the post game on the KFS YouTube channel. John and I believe Benji will be joining to break it on down. And then, you know, we'll see what happens from there. Thank you, everybody, for tuning into this episode. If you dig the show, head over to iTunes, drop a five-star rating and a review. John will be back, like I said, on the post game after game five. But until then, thank you for listening. Stay safe out there. Let's go, Knicks. And I'll speak with you soon. Peace. Peace.